This morning we're going to pick up our text in Luke chapter 2 and start in verse 21. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Um, amazing. I don't know whether we should be excited about the warm Christmas or concerned. It was awfully warm yesterday and we're just, we're so thankful for the time we got to spend with family and with friends and, and all. And as we go on and begin to move into this next year, Lord, we pray that as we read these next parts of the story, the, the next uh, chapter of your life here, um, help us to take it to heart and to carry it on into the new year. Um, and live like that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an interesting next section as we cover, um, we're going to do Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40, but we're going to take a break and then go over to Matthew 2, and then come back to Luke and finish it up. So we got to get through it pretty quickly, but um, the birth of Jesus is its just such an amazing story, not, not because it's just for a lot of different reasons I was studying today. You know, how we've taught this a lot. I mean, we've gone over this section a lot. I have anyway. I know you guys have. And for however old you are, you've heard this story every Christmas more than likely. And um, I got more out of it this time when I was studying. And it's, that's, that's hard to squeeze blood from a turnip sometimes, you know. Um, but I was thoroughly, well, impressed with God's word again. Um, so we pick up with the circumcision of Jesus. Um, he's been born in Bethlehem. Um, it, it's been eight days. It's the time for him to go and be dedicated to the Lord um, and get circumcised. And so that's where we pick up the story. And there's already uh, a, a welcoming committee, as there has been with the shepherds. And, and uh, as we get into the wise men here in a, in, in a few verses here, we run into these two prophets, a, a, a man and a woman, um, who are sitting at the temple waiting for their promise, expecting their promise, waiting for their promise, um, but in such a way that they weren't like everybody else in Jerusalem or everybody else in Israel. They had no preconceived ideas. I mean, I'm sure they ran through scenarios of what their king or their savior would look like or be like or all, but when they spotted him, I think it's important to notice that they were willing to receive him as he came. It wasn't uh, a disappointment to them. Um, it wasn't none of the people here in this story. None of them were disappointed when they, when they saw just a baby, you know. And, um, and, and you, you could almost see the light bulb come on in their minds as they go through all the scriptures in their mind again. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, I kind of thought it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, but this, this is amazing, you know, and how perfect it was and how it couldn't have been any other way. It had to come this way. Um, their salvation had to come this way, of course, you know, and I remember that light bulb going off for me as I got saved, as I was born again, as people shared with me the gospel and did it. And I had ideas and and different ways I was going to come to God and different ways God was going to come and respond to me. And when it actually went down, of course, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. That's, that's, this is perfect. And now I understand it isn't my circumstances that are the problem. It's something that I can't touch or work on inside my heart. It's me way, way, way down in there. And as much as I'd love to fix me, I can't. It's got to come from my God. And what a perfect example of this. In verse 21, 
And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Mary is still following the plan. So is Joseph. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according uh, to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, that is the second part of that law. Primarily, you would offer the best. You would offer a lamb or uh, even a steer or something, you know, full-grown animal. But if you were poor... This is what you could offer in exchange instead. It was, an, it was a um, class B offering, basically, kind of thing. And that's what they brought. That's all they had. And I think God sets us up this way with this to let us know this is, they didn't have pennies or what, shekels to run, rub together back then, you know, these two kids. So when the wise men show up in Matthew 2, you can see how great a benefit that was for them as they're about to travel to Egypt, you know. So he sets us up for this. Their, their poverty. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was uh, Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And that's one of those individual revelations that isn't for everybody necessarily, just for him. And he was promised that you're going to see him before you die. Ooh, you know. That's, they, you'd be just waiting at the door, you know, looking like this. And I just love that he's there and ready for it. Because he had been told by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how many days ago he was told that, but he's been waiting for this. And I don't know how long, but he didn't miss a day. Every day he prepared himself to be ready to receive the Messiah, to come see where the salvation would be. And um, just perseverance and staying on track and focusing on what I'm supposed to do today. And today I'm supposed to wait at the temple for Jesus to come or my Messiah to come. He didn't know the name at the time, you know, and how, what a great picture that is for us to persevere and to continue on with our walk um, every single day. Now today might've nothing happened and maybe yesterday nothing happened. And the day before that, nothing happened and nothing remarkable took place, but there's going to come that day when you're walking in the spirit, where you're supposed to be, doing what God told you to do, and it's going to happen, and you're going to be right where you're supposed to be. And he was. So he came by the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So some stranger wants to hold his, the baby, you know? <laughs> Let me hold this baby. Sure. Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, as much as we've been going through the book of Acts on Wednesdays, you know that that was a very strange thing to say out loud inside the temple. Remember how mad they got at Paul for Gentiles or anything to do with Gentiles, how people would walk away. There was this idea and this thought, these second-class people that had the outer courts, but let us they didn't even keep those open for them to come pray and to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. They filled them with all their marketplace so that these people, these Gentiles, who could care less, you know, who cares, couldn't come and pray. So for him to say this out loud, holding this baby... It's just, it's just 
it's truth. Um, he wasn't afraid to say the truth. He wasn't afraid, because that's what we're going to see in this whole section, is just this devastating attack on, on, on God's truth. They hate it. The world absolutely hates it. And that's Satan. He's always hated the truth. He's always had his own narrative. He's always had his own thoughts and ideas. From the very beginning, when he met Eve in the garden, did God really say, I mean, let's really analyze what God said. And she said, yeah, he says, I'm not supposed to eat of the knowledge. But the one of life I can eat of, but the knowledge of good and evil, I'm not supposed to eat of that or else I'm going to die. You're not going to die. That's a new narrative. God says, here's the the truth. This is not going to happen. That's a new narrative. Go ahead. Go ahead. And he's been doing that ever since. Satan is the father of lies. And, and what that means is we like to think of it as, uh, well, we just think of it in a certain way, that, that a lie is a lie. You know, it's just, it's, it, and, and if you're in the media, you got to say it's an untruth because you get sued if you call it a lie. And that's the new word for lies, untruth, whatever. Um, it, it isn't just that. It's, it's Satan's truth according to him. This is what I want it to be. This is how it's going to be. This is the way I'm going to portray it. This is how I'm going to spin this. I will make myself like the most high, he says. I will be like the most high. And so it's my truth. We have to be careful of that. There is no such thing. It's his truth. That's it. And to accept it and to receive it. This is the way of salvation. If you do not have the son, you do not have the father. Very important. And to make this out to be something other than it is, it's always been that father of lies. It's always been the narrative. And the world is joined in. But to say this out loud inside the temple, that the Gentiles, he's here for to be a light to the Gentiles. Who cares about the Gentiles? God does. Very much so. Very much so. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Oh, not exactly what you want to hear on baby dedication day, you know? Your heart's going to be broken, Mary. But she's a big enough girl God sees in her heart to handle that truth, to know that about her. That's a respect that God gave to Paul when he was telling him by the Holy Spirit in every city that he went to, you do know that chains wait for you when you get to Jerusalem. I know. You do know that when this is, whoever holds this belt, he's the one who's going to be bound when he gets to Jerusalem. I know. There are some people that God can trust with the truth of their future and knows that they won't run from it and they'll continue to walk through it. And Mary's one of them. Can you imagine hearing that? I mean, I don't know what she's going to do. We got to find a way out of this, Joseph. We've been warned that something's going to bad's going to happen to Jesus. We need to just let's go to Russia or let's go to Asia or let's go someplace other than this place. She doesn't. She just follows the plan. And God says, I'm just preparing your heart for what's about to happen. And that's why she's able to stay at the foot of the cross. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I suppose as a parent, you wouldn't be anyplace else, but it would be hard not to want to turn your head or bury your face or not witness it at all, you know, but she stays right there. And that's why Jesus is able to look down from the cross and say, John, behold your mother, you know, she's right there and he's preparing her for that. 
So yeah, they marveled at it, but not marvel like, oh, isn't that great? I mean, it is. There is a lot there. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. But I think the realization of what's going to happen to their son, yeah, he comes a second time with a crown of gold, you know, on a white horse. We've been reading that revelation, but the first time he comes, it's a crown of thorns, and they're beginning to feel that now and understand that. Sword's going to pierce you through. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> That's how we should say it from now on, maybe. Yeah, you are just of great age. <laughs> I know what you mean when my kid, the kids are going to pull that on me. I know what you mean by that. I know what you mean by that. I think along with that, though, comes along with there's a lot of respect. You're not just old. There's, you're a great woman, you know. There's, there's, you're of great age. Anyway, she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in in Jerusalem. This is him. This is the Messiah. She recognized too. Now we don't get her words, unfortunately. Um, But we know what she kind of said anyway, but no quote. Um, Beautiful. Both these older people waiting, um, waiting for this um, and content to wait. You know, I mean, there's there's probably a whole Bible study there, but we've got a lot of scriptures to cover. So I don't want to spend too much time on it. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. The child grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now let's, let's go to Matthew 2, please. And we'll come back to that section. So you can put a, a finger there if you want to, or a ribbon or whatever you have to mark your spot, because we'll finish that up. But Matthew 2 enters the wise men. So from the time of Jesus' birth is when the star appeared. That's what happened. And so they've been traveling. So the star appears over Bethlehem, they get going in the right direction and they begin to follow it there. But by the time they get there, the star has disappeared. So they're in the general vicinity right now. But at this time, as they're inquiring of where this child is, understand he is now in Nazareth. He's not in Bethlehem anymore. The wise men don't come to the stable. They don't come to that location. Um, It says that they found the young child. So he's six to two years old, six months to two years old. We don't really know exactly, but he's, he's in Nazareth now. Okay. So that's where we pick up our story. So keep that in mind. He's already been dedicated. They're, they're done with their census taking and they've moved back to Nazareth now. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of, Her- of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star from the east and have come to worship him. Um, these wise men, uh, we don't know how many there were. Uh, we assume that there were three because there were three gifts, but that doesn't mean there were only three. Um, it could have been, we don't know. I mean, it could have been many, many, many people. We do know this, that all Jerusalem was in uproar when these guys came into town. So it must have been quite an entourage. It wasn't like three camels walking in like we kind of have pictured in our mind, you know, and they've got some backpacks or something, you know, um, because when these guys showed up with their gold, their frankincense and myrrh, 
um, and they were from the east. They had quite the group because everybody knew they were there. Um, this is a caravan. This was huge. And they were coming, and this is what I find interesting. They think they're late to the party. They come to the palace, and they're going to say here in a minute, and they're going to say, we're, we're here, where's, where's the new king, the king of the Jews? That's an oxymoron for these people. King Herod, ruthless guy, smart guy, clever guy, uh, leader-wise and as far as the way people were in this day and age without the Lord or without following any of God's guidelines, amazing ruler in the sense that he kept things in line and they were prosperous. That's the bottom line of it. I mean, they had the second uh, refurbishment of the temple and he paid for that and that's how he got in good graces with um, the Jews because the Jews didn't like him because he's not Jewish. He's an Edomite. Um, he's from Edom and, and not friends, <laughs> mortal enemies, always have been. They just are. But, eh, you know, he lets this happen, lets that happen. He did the temple thing. That's good. So he got in good graces, but he's also in good graces with Rome. Rome likes him. And so that, he's right in the middle. Here's the thing, though, and this is what I picked up on from studying this. This guy is super insecure, he desperately wants the Jewish people to like him. That's why he does what he's supposed to do for the temple. I want this. I want this. I want them to like me, you know. But he also wants Rome. So he doesn't have any problems with discipline as far as these Jewish people go. But on both sides, he knows who he is. He knows he's an Edomite. It doesn't matter if he's got a, a crown on his head. It doesn't matter if he's got this power and authority. He is angry and he's bitter and he wants everybody to like him, and nobody likes him. They only like him because of what he gives them. To Rome, he gives them peace. He keeps the Jews in line. And for the Jews, he gives them stuff to get their temple going. But he is, he's in that place where he knows who he is without, if I didn't have power and if I didn't have money, nobody, nobody, okay? So when you show up at this guy's house and this entourage comes in not to see you and says, Where's the king of the Jews? Who are the Jews? I mean, they're, they're irritants. Nobody liked them. Um, nobody thought the Jews were anything. And for them to say that out loud was to bring out all the prejudices in them that they've ever had, you know? And I'd love to apply that to our lives today, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit apply that to our lives today. I don't want to name it, because there's just way too many individual prejudices that we have in our hearts, that if someone was to come up to us and say something similar, but with the name of the person or the whatever of the person, the description of the person that you think the least of in your life, can you imagine? Hey, hey, I've come to church. Can I see the fill in the blank, you know? What? You're not here to see, I mean, Pastor J.D.? I'm a really good Bible teacher. I thought you watched online and, and traveled far, you know, to come listen to me. No, no, no. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for this. I don't know. He's over in the nursery, I suppose, you know. What a disappointment for him. And can be for us. That was the point. Jesus is coming in the most innocent in the world, and Satan hate innocence. The most vulnerable 
and the world hates vulnerability, they only capitalize upon it. They just love to attack while, while young. Hates. I mean, you just, you can go through in your mind right now from news headlines of how much this world hates kids. They hate them. They'll never say it out loud, but they treat them with just contempt and hatred. Whether that's through abortion or that's through child pornography or human trafficking or, or whatever it may be. Many, many other things. It's just obvious. Satan just hates innocence, hates, hates vulnerability, and capitalizes upon him. So he gets this information from these wise men. Do you know where this king of the Jews is? And this guy is so insecure about his throne, he's, he's already killed his wife, her mother, mother-in-law, you know, two of his sons. The, the saying was said, and I think everybody knows this, that it's safer to be a pig in Herod's house than to be his son. That's how scary it was to be related to this guy because that's his mindset. If he even heard a whisper of little Joey, my son Joey, becoming popular with the people, kill him. I will not. I will not let this happen. You know, I'm on the throne. Could care less about his kids. You know, that's where he stands. So when you show up at his house and say, have you seen the king of the Jews? We've been following his star. Now, this star, I don't want to miss this. And I don't want to step on toes because I don't need to step on toes this morning. But I believe it was much like the fish for Jonah. It was prepared for Jesus. Let's leave it at that. I don't know that it was some convergence or anything like that. I think it was very strange, very unusual. It disappeared. It comes back. It hovers. It doesn't move all the time. Um, There's a lot going on here that just doesn't line up with some of the other theories about what the star is or was. I believe it's his star. I don't think there's any like it. I don't think it'll ever happen again. Um, it is his star, and I believe it is a star. I mean, I believe it's a, just this huge bright light that shines, and they've been following this star. These guys were wise men. They knew the difference, you know, between Jupiter and all. They knew. No, this is different. We're looking for his star. We're not looking for, isn't it weird how Jupiter's reacting this time of year kind of thing? No, we're looking for his star. It's a special one. It's prepared for him. Very important. Um, Here's the response as they get this information to Herod. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. He's upset. I don't want to lose my throne. And all Jerusalem with him. Everybody knows this is happening. This is a huge deal. And the wise men have got to be looking around saying, we're the streamers, where's the cake, where's the stuff? I don't understand. How could we be... We've been watching this star for months trying to get here, figuring we're coming in late, you know, fashionably late, and showing up at this party, and none of you? Now, they've all seen the star, too. They all know about this. Look what these guys say. He's troubled about it, all Jerusalem. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, they inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they, these are the chief priests, said to him in Bethlehem, of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, um, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The pastors, the priests, knew all about it, saw it, because it's not 
I mean, everybody saw the star. It wasn't like just the wise men could see this thing, and they didn't even look for him. And they're six miles away. Bethlehem is six miles away from Jerusalem. You can have all the biblical data memorized, understood, but if it is not in your heart, you will not seek Jesus. You will not worship Jesus. You can have it all right here. I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. But you don't worship. These are the guys that are supposed to be leading. Herod goes, what do you mean you knew about this? I mean, he doesn't say that, but he's got to be looking at these guys saying, you guys knew about this? Yeah. And that was your response? Who is this kid? What's happening here? It never moved them. The word of God they knew, the signs they saw, but it didn't even move them to go look six miles away where Jesus was to be born. Because the star is gone at this point. The star is not visible right now. They're in the temple. They're asking about it. Did you guys see the star? Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be over there. I think in Bethlehem is where it's supposed to happen because nobody knows where the star is because it says it appears again here in a minute. It shows up again, but it's not over Bethlehem. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, uh, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now they suspect this guy isn't on the level, obviously. Herod's conclusion with prophecy, not only false, or not even false, just unbelieving priests, okay, but still encountered true believing pilgrims trying to find him. So the truth was there. His conclusion, kill the baby. Kill the baby. And that is still today's response for people. Many people just kill the truth. Absolutely kill it. It does not interest me. I'm not interested in changing. I want what I want. Even though they've encountered maybe, and you can't use any of those excuses. Well, you know, I've got these, I've been around these priests all my life and and these guys never really believed what they taught anyway. So you've also run into believers in your life too. God makes sure of that. True believers, true people that love God and worship him and follow him. And they're there in your lives and in the lives of all the people around. And yet, yeah, no, 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 no. But kill the truth. That's not the truth. That's not the only truth. That's just, and they kill it. He's surrounded by unbelieving hypocritical, religious, and Herod encountered the genuine believers on pilgrimage, and so he's got no excuse. I'm just going through my notes, making sure I said everything that came to me. No excuse. The response that people have generally is open hatred towards Jesus when they hear the truth, anger, rage, um, cold indifference, which I think we see in the priests. Yeah. But then you also see humble worship. Those are the three types of people in the world when they hear about Jesus, basically. The humble worshipers, when they saw the star, they followed it. They weren't discouraged by the unbelieving clergy. Um, There was an urgency to worship. They want to get there. They must worship this baby. And the worship was given, not empty-handed adoration. Um, They came with something, you know. And it's not about money. It's about, I'm bringing you, you know. I'm not coming to you in hopes of you changing my circumstances. I'm coming to you because you're worthy of worship and I'm giving you all that I have or at least a portion of it, you know, is the idea. They gave him their time. They gave him their effort. They gave him the word. They, they were faithful to preach all the way there, these wise men. 
They showed up with some gifts, which I'm sure wasn't all of their property, but it was a representation of it, an honorarium, basically. And they showed it. And that is the progression, I think, of a true believer. Those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who see Jesus will worship him, if they truly see him. And those who worship him will consecrate their lives to him. They set their lives towards him. There's no in-between. These guys are all in. And they're not dissuaded by this. Bethlehem, okay, so he's not here. And, and, and you, you guys didn't go look for him when you saw the star. There's got, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in their heads. It's hard when someone who worships God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength runs into somebody that's so apathetic towards their faith. I don't understand your lack of passion, your lack of heart for this beautiful person. Jesus, I don't understand that, you know? They keep it to themselves. They understand that it's not probably the best thing to open their mouths and maybe witness to this guy. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, so it's appeared again, till it came and stood over where the young child was. That's Nazareth. He's over Nazareth now. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. And when they had come into the house, not the stable, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream, that's how God's been speaking, that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Amazing. They took off. Now, um, Herod's going to get wind of this. When they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, we haven't got there yet on Thursday nights, but we're going to hit Revelation chapter two, or, uh, uh, chapter uh, 12. So I'm going to read that to you really quick. You can turn there if you want, but I'll read it to you. It's during the Great Tribulation period, and there's this sign in heaven describing the gospel, giving out the gospel, and then also uh, um, the Lord, and, it's, and it's, it's a pictograph, basically. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the head of a garland of 12 stars. That's, uh, remember Joseph's dream? And when he had that, and the first dream was, all, all you guys, all, all you guys, it was great. You guys all bowed down to me and everything, and everybody was upset about, well, one of those dreams was about that, mom, dad, son, moon. And the 12 stars were the brothers and all that. And you guys all bowed down to me and that did not fly. Anyway, he brings that up. So we're talking about Israel here. A woman clothed with the sun, this woman Israel, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and the head of the garland and 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery dragon having seven hens and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was uh, to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and he will. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. And that's the gospel, basically, in a sense, this baby came. Well, here's the dragon showing up in Herod's form as he gets ready to kill all the babies in Bethlehem all the babies in this area, ages two years old and under, to try to catch like a net. If I kill them all, maybe I'll get him, you know, kind of thing. 
when he arose, he took the young child, Jesus does, or uh, Joseph does, and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Um, all this gold, all this frankincense is now sitting at their feet. They've presented this money to them, and they've gone on their way, a different way, back home, so he doesn't know, and now they have all the resources needed for the mission that God's going to call them to, to get them to Egypt, not just refugees. There's a million Jews in in Egypt at this point. I mean, it's it's still populated. It's a suburb of Rome, you know. I mean, it's it's, it's under Roman control at this point. And there's still a million Jews here, so blending in is going to be easy. But then also, there is no waiting. You've got all the money you need to get in and to get out. And so God is taking care of them. And that's a little side note. When God calls you to something, he also provides for you, equips you for the task. You know, you can say, oh, I don't think I can do that. And that's all right. He'll, he'll provide for you when it's time. And he did. He took care of them. Um, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, realized it had been too long, they haven't come back, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which um, he had determined from the wise men. So fine, you don't want to come back and tell me where he is or how much? I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to kill them all. I think you escaped my wrath. I'm taking care of all of them. And this is not unusual for him. He has shown this. In his life. This is not hard for him to do. He's already killed his own kids. He's already killed his own wife, his mother-in-law, and several other people. I mean, obviously, this is the guy, this is the way he ruled. So to do this was nothing. Um, It didn't mean anything to him. In Jeremiah 31, 15, it fulfills this prophecy when Herod does this. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And of course, that's where she was buried in this area. And so those are all her relatives. And so that's a prophecy about this moment right now being fulfilled. Now, verse 19. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child, uh, child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. This is a great stepdad right here. This is a great stepdad. I mean, it's a lot. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I know he's thankful for the angels. I know he's thankful for the, you know, the, the messages and all. But what a, what a moment for a carnal person to say, you know what? I don't need this baggage. Honestly, I don't need this, but he doesn't. He loves the Lord. He understands his calling. He takes it personally. He's honored by the calling, and he does that calling to his, to his best. Now, we don't know when he dies. It's sometime after Jesus is 12 years old, um, but some, or, die, or whatever. We assume he's dead. Um, we don't see him anymore after this next section that we're going to read. Um, but he does what he's supposed to do to come alongside Mary, to make sure she has safe passage, to, to find the stable, to knock on the door for the end, to argue as best he can, but ends up being out in the cold. And can you imagine how that would have felt? Maybe I should have pushed harder. Maybe I should have thrown some of those people out of the hotel so that my wife had room, but here I am in a stall and he's in a manger and, he, and it's cold and there's animals and there's manure everywhere, you know, and 
not a pretty, warm, cozy picture like we make it out to be, you know? And as a stepdad, say, I don't know, you know, I don't think I'm doing the best job right now. God disagrees. God disagrees. It's just you are. I want you to take her, and I want you to get her to Egypt. Get him there. You bet. Let's go, you know? Let's go. And he does it. Now bring him back. Okay. Now we're coming back to Nazareth. Nazareth. I don't know if we know how funny that is, but back then it would have been really funny. I think God loves it too, and I'll tell you why. God loves to say that he's from this terrible place because everybody expected him to be different. Jesus is unremarkable. I think that's the best word out of all the commentaries that I read. Is unremarkable. He had an unremarkable birth. I mean, the kid wasn't even born inside, you know. Unremarkable parents, you know. Um, just a, and a baby. He's this king, but he's a baby. Just unremarkable. And now you're saying that he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was like nothing. It was nothing. I'm not going to say the name of a town, but you could probably fill in a name of a town that you just think of, you know. And for someone like God to show up and say, and I don't know which town to use to not offend anybody. I want to offend. Either I offend everybody or I offend nobody. And I don't know which town to I say, let's think of a, I, well, I won't. I'll let you fill in the gap. But I'm from this town. Oh, where's that? You know, kind of thing. Or, oh, I don't know if I'd say that too loud kind of thing. That's not the greatest on a resume, you know. Nazareth of all places. See, there are prophecies about and it wasn't exactly Nazareth. The, the word was NASA, what they used. It was very close, you know. And so a lot of the guys, when they're reading about this and trying to understand how the prophecies were going to fulfill, be fulfilled, they kept saying Nazarite. Well, Nazarite, we all know what a Nazarite vow is. I hope you do anyway. That's where you let your hair grow long. You're dedicated to God. You're not going to do this out of the other thing, and you're going to walk. And then when the purification is over and the time is up, you shave your head and you say, this is how long I've been worshiping. Nazarite. Jesus is a Nazarite. They love that. Nazareth? To be a Nazarene? It's a whole different connotation. It does. Of all the ways for him to introduce himself to Saul slash Paul, when Paul gets blinded, Saul gets blinded, and he's getting his calling, he's getting saved, he's in the process of being filled with the Spirit and ready to go, I mean, he's coming anyway. And Paul says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And to Paul, being a part of the Sanhedrin, to be the upper crust, to be the smartest, to be the most educated, to be the, you know, I'm the guy persecuting the way at this point. To have Jesus say, I'm, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, would have just irked him. I'm the guy who blinded you. I'm the guy who has you on your knees worshiping right now. The, the place that you think nothing of, the people that you think nothing of, that's where I'm from, you know? Jesus is so different from what everybody thought, just unremarkable, and yet amazing, you know? What Herod doesn't understand, and I think a lot of people miss, is Herod, everything that was working inside of his heart, everything that was wrong, everything that was dark, everything that caused him to just gratify the Jews and to gratify Rome and to make sure his power and authority was in place. Everything that caused, that drove him to that could have been healed 
if he had come to Christ, if he had heard everything that was laid out before him, everything that was hurting him, everything that was deep down inside that nobody could touch, that he had masked and dealt with in sideways ways, you know, through power and manipulation and authority and riches, all those things, everything that was driving that could have been healed in his heart if he just listened to the testimony and believed it. Instead of saying, I'm going to kill every two-year-old, I'm going to go worship the one. The way for Herod was not his way to get healed. It was to go bow the knee at Jesus's cradle or bed or whatever he was living in at the time when, the, when they got this news. That's the hardest part, I think, about witnessing to people and telling people about Jesus is they've got this idea of the way that they're going to get better. And the only way they're going to get better is if they humble themselves and worship this Jesus. That's the way. But it seems so unremarkable. It seems so strange. It seems so unrealistic. It seems so, well, there's nothing that I can do. Exactly. It's not about whether you have this, that, or the other thing, or have made your reputation out to be this, that, or the other thing, or whatever it is that you've got that seems to make you feel a little bit better about yourself temporarily because you know that everybody that lays their head at night knows who they are deep down inside, regardless of what the world sees. And you're left with that. The way for Herod to get healed, the way for Herod to find his way out of this is to go worship with these wise men. That's why they're called wise men. You know, they were humble. And those wise men unmoved by that. He's a baby in Nazareth. All right, let's go to Nazareth. You know, Not exactly what we thought. Figured he'd be at the palace. Figured this, figured that. But they're open to whatever. Okay, I guess we're going over here now. And they get to this baby and they begin to worship this baby because they're wise. You know, they know. Now back to Luke and we'll finish up here. Verses 41 through 52. He's grown up now. They're back from Egypt. Um, He's about 12 years old. He is 12 years old. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. That means Joseph and Mary took him there. So we know Joseph is still here at this point. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposed him to have been in the company. So they're in a caravan. They just figure he's out playing with his buddies. They went a day's journey and saw him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And so it was that after three days, (laughs) oh, oh, No offense, Jesus, but as a parent, can you imagine? First of all, not finding him in the caravan. Forgot him at church. You know, we left the kids at church. Sometimes you got a lot of kids and you forget, you know, it happens. But then to come back to the place and not find him there for three days, they're looking for this kid. And you know, they didn't sleep. Three days looking for him. So it was after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Do you get that? 
He's asking them questions, but they're not giving him answers. He's answering his own questions. He does that all the time. His whole ministry was like that. Hey, you know, uh, who, who, should we pay taxes to Caesar? His question was, whose inscriptions on it? Now, he doesn't care what their answer is. He's going to give them the answer to that. Well, Caesar's, render under Caesar what's Caesar's, and render under God what's God's. He adds to it like, okay, let Caesar have whatever you're worried about, but why don't you give him what God's owed, your life, you know, give him your heart, give everything to God. So he's asking these questions, and they're like, I don't know, and so he answers them, and they're amazed at his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? That's a good parent response, isn't it? You did this to us. <laughs> I've been sitting here the whole time. I mean, you know, he probably had to. Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication. Make your request be made known to God. She knows this stuff. Can anxiety sneak up on us sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if you lost a kid. Nobody sits at Walmart when they've lost their kid and say, I'm not anxious about it. He's fine. He's somewhere in here. I'm sure of it. No. No, you're flipping tables. You turn into that kind of Jesus at that point. You know, nobody's leaving the front doors here until I figure out where my kid is in this place. Anxiously sought him. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. That's probably a nice way of putting I don't know what they looked like, but when he gave them that answer, which is the right answer, they didn't accept it, you know. What? Didn't you know it was going to be in my father's house? No, we thought you'd be in the caravan with us where you're supposed to be, you know. No, 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 no. And from that point on, we don't hear about Joseph at that declaration, at that point. That's not that he's gone now. I mean, we don't know how much longer he's around or when he dies or when he is missing. It seems to be missing. But it's at the point where he says, I'm at my father's house. He knew it. Not only spiritual father, but I think he knows, he knows, he knows, you know. And he says that. And that's what I want to leave off with today. And that's the last scripture. Jesus grows up at the age of 12 and knows who he is, knows who his father is, and begins his ministry at that point. Um, And we'll pray and we'll close here. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus's unremarkable life, and yet what a remarkable entrance. So humble, so little, so vulnerable, so innocent, so, so perfect. The best way, and yet hasn't even shared a word yet, and the world wants to devour him. That's how much Satan hates the truth, hates the way, hates life, hates Jesus, hates your way of your salvation. So we should know that, I guess. And I think Peter warned us, Lord, and all of them warned us that this is normal for the Christian. When you walk around with the truth, with love, with God's salvation, God's grace, and God's mercy, of course, the world wants to devour that. The world wants to change the narrative. They want to call what's good evil and what's evil good. They want to change everything that God said in his word to something that they want it to mean. It just means what it is. It's plain. It's simple. It's beautiful. It's perfect. So Lord, help us to hold on to this truth. To not be ashamed of the gospel. To not be ashamed of this good news. To let you, the world know how much you loved them. That you sent your son to die on the cross for their sins. 
to make that way, to give peace between you and the people through Jesus. Uh, so it'll help us to walk that way this year, to, to be good ambassadors for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week. No, no midweek services this week. And then uh, Friday, we have our New Year's Eve party. So that's the next time we'll be in the building is Friday evening. Six, six o'clock Friday evening is when we start. I think you can bring finger foods and stuff like that, like we do soups or whatever. Let's do that.